I understand um, our, our, our subject matters are, they're deep. I get that. But they're real. How many of you would say the things that we're talking about are real? We're going to talk about fear and negativity, and we've talked about um, um, depression and, and marriage issues. And last week we talked about the crisis that we come to with sexual sin. Today we're going to continue on that topic, on the process to get out of it. We've talked about some deep things. Now, where else are we going to get the solution to the answer to these things if we don't get them from church? Right? We, we got to talk about them. And obviously, you know, I understand this. A Sunday morning is probably not the best topic or time to talk about certain of these topics. Um, and that's why I, I enjoy the Wednesday night where we can really just dig into some things that are, are, we're battling with. Um, just like with parents, you know, if you, um, um, if you don't talk about these issues with your children, they're going to learn from someplace. I remember, I remember. Now, don't go and tell my son I told you this. Every, every time I say something, he comes home, he's like, Dad, seriously? <clears throat> I remember my son, he was, we were living in Cincinnati at the time, and, and uh, Michelle said, you need to have a talk with Jacob. I said, about what? She said, well, he, he asked me about sex today. I went, oh, no. Like, what, what am I supposed to say? So I, I took him, I sat him on our front step, and we're sitting down on our front step, and, and, and I was trying to help him understand it's for marriage, and it's a good thing in marriage, but no, 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 be outside of marriage, it's sin. And I don't know why I said this. I have no idea. To this day, I have no idea why I said this. I said, son, I was working for the, the pastor's name was Dutry, so Pastor Dutry. I said, son, Pastor and Mrs. Dutry, they have sex. And he went, Dad, no. Oh, no, Dad. And he just got emotional, started crying. And he's like, no. Oh, Dad, no. I said, you're right. Mom's going to handle this one. I said, Michelle, I need you to get out here. I'll handle dinner. You handle this conversation. And she fixed everything I messed up. And, and, um, but the reality is these are things that we talk about. And this, this topic that we're talking about, it's something that, that, that everyone's going to face. Everyone's going to deal with. When, when, when two out of three men, and, and think about that statistic, Two out of three men battle with pornography at least once a week. And one out of every five women battle with that every week. When, when one out of every five internet searches are for pornography, it's an epidemic that is just destroying our homes. And those aren't like, I hope that we don't sit in this bubble and say, oh, how bad the world is getting. Because... It's infiltrated the church, and these are things that are people are battling with in 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 church, you know. And, and we don't want to oh you know depression. It's just it, it, it's Christians battle with it, and it's real. In 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 marriage problems, oh, 
yeah, my neighbor, my coworker. No, marriages in churches are falling apart. And, 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 and sexual sin addictions, these are things, this isn't for us to say how bad the world is. This is for us to say we need help. And the good thing is this, the word of God has all the answers that we need if we will listen and obey and apply these things to our life. And so I want to give you this evening five steps, five steps. We're going to look at five steps in the process of overcoming sexual sin. Last week, we looked at the fact that sexual sin or addiction is, is a crisis. And most of the time, nobody wants to do anything about a problem until it becomes a crisis. I used that analogy last week of the parents who their kids are just failing, a child's failing school, first, second, third quarter, and the teacher sends a note home saying, listen, they're going to fail the year. And they go to the teacher and say, no, what, what do we need to do? I'll do more homework. I'll, we'll, we'll do extra credit. What can we do so that this doesn't happen? And they hit crisis mode, and in crisis mode, they finally wake up and say, all right, something has to change. But just hitting crisis mode doesn't change anything. You've got to come to that place till you say, all right, a change has to happen. But then what needs to happen is a process needs to take place that allows for that crisis to change and you can get out of that crisis mode. And so five steps that I want to look at this evening in the process. This is a process of overcoming sexual sin. Now, I will say this. If, if maybe you say, I don't battle with this. Well, everybody battles something. My, my, my battle, and I, and I don't mean this to be funny, it's, it's, it's true. Um, my wife, I, I will be driving home from, from church, and I'll say, hey, I, I'm, I'm on my way home. Uh, do you want me to stop by the store and pick something up? She says, no, I don't want you to go to the store and pick anything up. I'm, 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 I'm passing the store. Okay, what, where, are you, where are you? I'm getting ready. I'm leaving the house. I'm going to the store. Well, why don't you want me to go to the store and pick anything up? Because I'm going to give you five things, she says, and you're going to come home with ten things, and five of those things are going to be five things you don't need to eat. Oreo cookies and, and ice cream, and, and it's true. I go to pick up the five things that she wants, and I come home with ten things, and she's like, "Why you can't eat these things. I said, but they're so good. But you can't have that. Why? And, and she's not saying that to me because she dislikes me. She says, I want to spend a lot of time with you, and these things are going to kill you. I said, but I'll die happy. Don't you want to be happy? She said, no. She says, no, I don't want you to die happy. I want you to live with me without Oreo cookies the rest of your life. And So everybody faces something. And you're laughing because you're facing the same, something. You had that conversation. Right? Your spouse knows what you don't need. And so let's say you, in this, this process, you say, well, I don't really battle with that. Then what do you battle with? Because if you don't battle with something, you're not human. Everybody battles with something. And, and, and if you don't think you do, ask somebody that knows you well to point that out so that you'll improve in that area. But everybody battles with something. There's something that your flesh says, I want in something that you battle with. And so whatever that may be, you put that in this process, okay, as we study this this evening. Psalm chapter number 63. We're going to be in Psalm quite a bit. In this study, I think you've probably noticed, and I don't do this so that you get sore um, hands for writing, but 
I don't want to give you my opinion. In any of these studies we're doing, we're going to use a lot of scripture. If you get to the place where you just can't turn there, just write it down, go back, and you study through this, okay? I would encourage you, through all of these, I would encourage you, I've had several people, um, many people actually say, boy, we've gone and we've re-listened to these, and I've asked other people to listen to these. And so I would recommend, if there's something here, don't think, if I don't get it all tonight, because I'm going to give you a lot of information that it's gone. Get on our podcast, re-listen to it, re-go over your notes, um, and, and find these Bible verses. <clears throat> but I want to hear from God tonight, don't you? I want to hear what God has to say on this matter. In Psalm chapter number 63, the Bible says this, in verse number one, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land, where no water is. How many of us have a relationship with God like that? I mean, this, this relationship right here describes an intimate relationship with the Lord. Thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth. For thee. Have you ever been thirsty? And, and, and just the desire for water. I remember as a kid coming in from the playground from school and in the line of people at the drinking fountain, I, I wanted just to, you know, you'd race to be the first one there. And then you remember, come on, you, what are you, a fish? Get out of the way, you know, and you get in there and you can't wait to get that water. You're so thirsty. That's what the psalmist is describing. This is how bad I want God. I thirst for him. I long for him. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You know what he's identifying here in this, this first verse? That there's nothing that this world has to offer you that is going to satisfy you. There's nothing that this world gives you. Satan has nothing. Your flesh has nothing. Nothing that this world, this dry and this dry and thirsty land, there's no water. There's nothing that's going to sustain you like your relationship with God. I want you to write this down. Number one is this. In order for us, the first step in the process of overcoming sexual sin, overcoming addiction, is I must seek God daily and fervently. Now, there's a difference between just seeking God daily and seeking him daily and fervently, right? Fervently is with passion. God desires a relationship with him and a daily relationship with him, but, but that daily relationship is more than just mundane. It's a fervent, passionate relationship that we must have with God. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this first point and, and then probably point number four as well. And so stay with me here as we think about this thought. Don't just make that, that, that very, of course, seek God. Okay, well, listen to me. We're not going to overcome sin until our relationship with God is where he wants it to be, until we're seeking him, until we're passionate in our relationship with him. And when we're, we're weak with God, temptation is strong. When you're not where God desires to be, when your relationship with him isn't daily and fervent, temptation is going to be strong in your life. It's going to pull on you. You're, you're, it's constantly going to be uh, uh, tempting you and pulling you away from where you need to be. But when we're strong with God, when our relationship is strong with him, temptation is going to be weak. It all has to do with our relationship with him. And... I notice this with people. People that, are, that have an amazing relationship with God, they don't just stumble upon it. 
You ever see someone, man, I wish I had, I wish I had that relationship with God like that person has. Well, it wasn't that that person was just walking, you know, through life and, and, um, uh, they're, they're walking there, they're, they see, oh, look, relationship with God. Isn't that wonderful? Man, now I have a relationship with God. Easy. I just found that. I just stumbled upon it. And sometimes we, we want good marriage, healthy marriage, thriving marriage. Oh, there it is. Wow, now I have a wonderful marriage. This is just great. That's not how you get a relationship with God. That's not how the person you say, man, look, look at their relation with God. I want that. It's not because they just stumbled on it and they found it. People with an awesome relationship with God, I, I notice there's two things most of the time. If, I, if I've evaluated someone that just has a relation with God that I desire, you know what I notice two things normally about them? Number one would be this. They, they have um, uh, people in their life that have influenced them to have that relationship with God. Godly people spend time with godly people. Godly people are influenced by others that desire a godly relationship. And the second thing I would notice would be this, that, that people that have an awesome relationship with God, many of them have, ha- have come through great problems or some great pain. And what they've done is they've experienced God's grace in those trying times where they understand that seeking God is vitally important. They don't have a choice but to get a hold of God because this pain or this problem is so deep. But this word seek, and I want us to see in verse number one, the Bible says this, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek. And I want you to just circle that word seek. That is a, that is a word that's used over 300 times in the Bible. What seek? Seek. And I want us to see that. Two things. The righteous seek God. And the unrighteous, they don't see a need for God. I was, Sunday, I was, uh, when I was in Cincinnati, we were eating at a restaurant, and this fellow by the name of Elijah um, uh, was waiting on us. And I thought, I said to him, I said, Elijah, a name like that, you've got to know Christ. I mean, it's a Bible name of all, Elijah, I love that name. And he's like, what? I said, your mom named you Elijah, she must be a strong Christian. He's like, no. She just liked the name. I said, well, do you know Jesus? He's like, ah, no. I said, you believe that there's a God? He says, I'm really, uh, not really. I said, so you're an atheist? He said, yeah, I think if I had to describe myself, I'd be, I said, you can't be an atheist with a name like Elijah. Come on now. I was witness to him and talked with him, and he said, I don't think that there's a God. I mean, at the end of this conversation, every time he'd come back, and I, I don't think there's a God. He saw no reason to seek God. And there's two types of people. There's those that seek God and those that see no need. I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. We're already there. Go back to the beginning of Psalms, chapter number 9. Psalm chapter 9, in verse number 10. In Psalm 9.10 says this, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that what? Seek thee. He's promised. I'm not going to forsake those. Those that go after me, those that, that fervently seek me, I'm not going to forsake them. Isn't it great to know that there's a God in heaven that's not going to leave you? He doesn't give up on you. There's nothing that gets so 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 uh, uh, problematic in your life that God says, too much for me, I'm gone. He says, if you seek me, 
I'm going to, I'm going to solve these issues. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this valley with you. And then we have the other in Psalm chapter 10, verse number four, the Bible says the wicked through pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. And so we have these, those that seek God and those that feel like God can't help me. Which one are you? Because depending upon which one are you is dependent upon if you can overcome sexual sin or addiction in your life. Because you're not going to do this on your own. As a child of God, you've got to have some help. And God says, if you're righteous, you'll seek after me. If you're unrighteous or wicked, you're not going to see the purpose of seeking after me. And so let's just, just look at some verses here. The psalmist said in chapter 14, verse number two, uh, Psalm 14, two, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and what seek God. God is looking for those that'll seek him. He's desiring. So God is looking. If God is looking down from heaven tonight, wanting to know at Monclovero Baptist Church here in this chapel, is there anyone that wants to seek me? Is there anybody that desires God? In, in chapter uh, uh, 27, Psalm 27, turn a few pages over, Psalm 27, in verse number 8. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. God said, I want you to seek me. And the psalmist said, okay, I will. I will seek you. I, I, I want to have this fervent, passionate relationship with God. I've got sin in my life. I, I, I've got transgression in my life. I need God's help. In chapter number 34 of Psalm 34.10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The young lions do lack because they have no strength. They can't fight off the older lions. They're, they have no control. They're, they're in life. They're helpless. But they that seek the Lord, you're not helpless. You're not going life without strength. The, the, the life that you need to sustain life, God's going to supply it if you'll seek him. This is encouraging because where you're at, whatever sin you may have, no matter where you're at, God can give you the strength to overcome when you seek him. You're not going to seek him and him leave you empty. Isn't that a good thing? Say amen there. Look at the person next to you and say amen. Just look at them. That way you kind of loosen up a little bit, right? It's good. That's good. Listen, we're all sinners. If we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need Christ. And so it's okay. We're, we're all sinners. And God is going to give us the help we need to overcome that if we seek him. All right? In Psalm 40. In Psalm 40, verse number 16. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Listen, we've got something to have joy in. You know what happens when we get so bogged down with sin? Life isn't worth living. and We get discouraged and we get guilt and, and, and remorse. And, and listen, we don't have to live that way. Christians can live in joy. Listen, you can be that old lady having that little hanky, throwing that hanky around. You can have joy in life. Why? Because those that seek the Lord have something to find joy in. 
Right. And so uh, in verse number 16, those that seek the those that that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say, continue the Lord be magnified. Turn to Psalm 105, if you would, please. Psalm 105. Just going to give you lots of scripture here on seeking the Lord. Psalm 105, verse number three. Glory be his holy name. Would you say that tonight? Glory be his holy name. Would you agree with that? Therefore this, and let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Let the heart of them rejoice that what seek fervently, passionately desire the Lord. Seek the Lord. Proverbs chapter 7, let's get out of Psalms. And we could stay in Psalms all evening, but let's go to the where the wisest man in the Bible, the author of Proverbs he said this in verse number 15 of chapter 7, Proverbs 7, 15. Therefore came I forth to, to meet thee, diligently to what? To seek thy face. And I have found thee. When you seek God, you'll find him. Have you ever lost something and you just can't find it? Isn't that so frustrating? I can't find my keys. I can't find my wallet. I can't find anything. I, 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 I can't find this, and I'm trying. I've looked ev- everywhere. You, you, you looked under your seat, and, and somebody comes along and said, did you, did you look here? Of course I looked there. That's the most obvious place. Of course I looked there. That's not helping me. I'm searching. Listen, I'm so glad that when we want to seek God, it's not like we just can't find him. We give up. When you seek him, you'll find him. When there is an issue in your life, a problem in your life, if you seek God, you are going to find him. His word says so. Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28, 5. Proverbs 28, verse 5. Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you don't have the answers? Seek the Lord, you'll understand. You've got to get alone with the Lord. You've got to learn the way through this is I must seek God daily and fervently. Listen to me, there are some answers in life that you will need that you will only find from God. You will not find them from anyone else. You will only find them from God. And therefore, you must learn to seek Him so that you can find what can only be found in him. And so my question tonight then would be to everyone here, how is your seeking of the Lord been? How is your desire to spend time with him been? Are you seeking him? How is your time of feeding your spiritual hunger and, and feasting off the word of God been? We have to, as children of God, we have to desire his word. We can't live victorious Christian lives, overcoming temptation, overcoming sin, if we're trying to do it absent from seeking the Lord, absent from his word. It's impossible. You can't do it. Isaiah 51.1, if you'll turn there with me, if you would please, Isaiah 51.1. We're, we're moving. I, trust me, we're, we're moving. Stay with me. I want to give you a lot of scripture. 
Isaiah 51.1 says, hearken to me. This is an awesome verse. He that follow after righteousness. Those that follow righteousness, those that desire a right living, hearken to me. Ye that what? Seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence you are hewn and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Those that are righteous, seek the Lord. Pursue righteousness. How do we overcome sexual sin? By pursuing righteousness. If we don't pursue righteousness, we're going to fall to the temptations of this world. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse number 6. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord. Listen to me, if you have breath, he can be found. Seek the Lord. Desire him. Go passionately after him. Jeremiah 29, 11. I won't turn there. You write this in your notes. Go back and, 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 and uh, you can read this and reference this first. But, but what he's saying there is this. I'll be found if you seek me. You know what the theme that I find here is this. If you want me, you'll find me. If you look for me, I can be found. God doesn't play hide and go seek with you and go and hide and, all right, try to find me. Sorry, you couldn't find me. You can't have me. No, you look for me and I'm going to be there. I'm so glad that the Almighty God says this, you make that step to find me and I'm going to make that step to get to you. I'm not going to hide my, this isn't a game to God. He desires you to seek him. And when you do, he's going to be there. Seeking God is the furnace that fuels the fire of victory over sexual sin. Let me say this again. Seeking God, going after God daily, fervently, it's that furnace that fuels the fire of victory over sexual sin. If you desire victory over addiction, over sexual sin, over whatever has a stronghold on your life, then seeking God is what you need. It's that furnace fuels that fire. Listen, this is what happens. When a person seeks God, what they do in that time with seeking God, in that time with God, I tear down the altars of me. Every single person in this room, I don't care who you are. I don't care how spiritual you want to pretend you are. I, I, you're not fooling anybody. You love you. And the more time I spend with God, the more the altars of me, the altars of selfishness, all of those are torn down. And what I do is I raise up the altars. In the place of the altars I tear down, that's all about me. I raise up altars about Christ and His glory and His purpose in this world. And so I either going to worship the altar of me where everything has to be my way and, 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 and everything has to be about me and, and life has to revolve around me. And that's why I'm involved in this sexual sin because it pleasures me or I seek God and when I seek him it's not about me see the closer someone gets to the Lord the more they realize life is not about them you say that just sounds so so basic it is it's the word of God it's seeking him how how are you doing with seeking number two I want you to write this down I must eliminate the opportunity to fail. I must eliminate, how do I overcome sexual sin? I must eliminate the opportunity to fail. I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, please. 
Romans. You with me? Romans chapter 13. I must eliminate the opportunity to fail. Listen, the problem is so many of us, the reason why we're not overcoming sin is this. We keep putting ourselves in the same situation. Every time I walked, and I'm not, I'm not being funny with this. I'm being very serious. Every time I walk down an aisle that has something for me, I, I look at the ingredients. If it says zero carbs, zero sugars, zero flavor, zero this, zero that, but a hint of lemon, you know, I just go back on the shelf. What do I want with you? But, oh, man, you, you 54 carbs, 650 sugars, grams. I mean, no, nothing natural, all artificial, heart attack in a package. Put it in my cart. I mean, I love it. I love it. The, I can't go down those aisles that have those in the aisle. I can't. The, 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 my, my wife won't even let me go to Costco anymore. You know why? Because at certain times they give out samples. I mean, I, I take my hat off, I get the sample. I put my hat back on, I get the sample. I take my hat off, put sunglasses on, get a third sample. I mean, I go back and forth. They're, those things are good. You, and she says, but, but it's bad for you, but it tastes so good. Well, what do I think is going to happen when I keep going back to the place that my flesh says, give me, give me, give me? I've got to eliminate the opportunity to fail. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. Romans 13, 11, the Bible says this. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. This, I, I, this is like a charge to Christians. Don't you know what time it is? It's, it's time to, to get up. Wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer when we believe. Christ is coming back, Christian. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Man, isn't this challenging? I, this makes me glad to be a Christian. Let's do this. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riotous or drunkenness, nor in, in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envy. Man, this is awesome. I want this. This is the type of Christianity I want. Something that we're doing something. We're going someplace. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for your flesh. Make no provisions for your flesh to fill the lust thereof. And you mark that in your Bible, no provisions for your flesh. You know what the problem is? Many a times we're always making provisions for our flesh. We're always thinking about me. We're always thinking about what I want. Listen to me, we must remove temptation. You've got to get rid of temptation. You can't get victory if you don't make changes. So many people want victory, but they won't change anything. And listen, there are drastic actions. If, if you want to, 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 to overcome this, you've got to eliminate things. And drastic actions for living um, uh, uh, healthy marriages and healthy Christian lives, drastic actions must take place. And, 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 and just a few that I've got written down here is no unfiltered access to the Internet. Listen, if somebody's struggling with pornography, they don't need access to the Internet. 
I'm 50 years old. No one's going to tell me I can't. You can't, you can't have access. I would say this, and again, I know these, I, I said this, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious because I, I said something a couple weeks ago and a family said, oh, I can't believe that you make your 18-year-old son or 17-year-old son leave his, his, his phone, his iPad on, on the counter in your kitchen. I, I, you're right, I can't give you a verse for that. It's just what works for us. I don't want my son or my girls, I don't want them to have access to the, to the 800 million internet sites. Listen, when, you, when you've counseled for as long as I've counseled, you would understand. When, when, when I sit with a majority of people and say, so when did this start? You know what they say? Between the ages of 12 and 15 is what I was exposed to pornography, and I have it. I can't get it out of my head. And somebody thinks I'm a fool for not wanting my doing everything I possibly can to keep that out. It's not the dirty magazine that, that maybe for some of you it, you had to find or have to get. It's, it's right there in the fingertips of your kids. And some of you don't realize that or you won't accept that. Or you think it would never happen. Listen, your kid doesn't even have to try to find it. It finds them. It finds them. There's this whole industry because they know if they can get you hooked at 12 to 15, they got you hooked for life. And you'll be shelling out money the rest of your life to fulfill an addiction that you'll never, ever be able to control. It'll control you. Some, some, you know what you need to do? You've got a computer at home. You know what you need to do? You need to move that desk or move that computer so that anybody that walks by that doorway can see into the room. But listen to me, some of you are battling with pornography, and you won't do that. And when you refuse to do that, you're never going to get victory because you won't eliminate the things that you need to eliminate to help you get victory. You can't. You've got to make drastic actions. No unblocked channels. I, I said to someone just recently, I said, um, uh, why don't, well, he, he, he watches these things on TV and I said, why don't you get rid of, of, of cable? Why don't you just get rid of that? I can't do that. My, my kids watch Nickelodeon, and my, my son likes ESPN, and my, my wife likes Chip and Joanne. And I'm like, well, and you like pornography. Get rid of it. I'd rather my kids not watch those things and not be up to date on ESPN than me be so addicted I can't control it. Unaccountable time. No unaccountable time. Listen, Genesis, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. You with me? Listen, I'm not hitting anybody's toes. I'm hitting your heart. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you with an epidemic that is just destroying homes. If thou dost well, this is God. The Lord says to Cain, why are you upset? Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance so bad? He says this in verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at your door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Listen to me. Sin is waiting for you. At any opportunity, in no 
unaccountable time. Listen, there should not be hour or two hours or portions of time that are unaccountable for. If you go into our, if you go into our office, I, I require this of our, our pastoral staff, and, and I remind them often. And if somebody doesn't do it, I, I'll tell them, hey, listen, you got to do this. I told them this. When you leave this building, I don't care where, if you're going to go to the hospital, if you're going to go to Freeze Daddy's, if you're going to go pick me up cookies, I don't care what you're going to go do. You're going to let the office know that you're leaving and where you're going, and you go from in to out. You say, well, you're just being a dictator. No, I'm not doing it for that reason. Because to be honest with you, I don't even pay attention unless I need somebody. Why do I do that? Because I don't want our staff to have unaccountable time. The, the, the church that Chris Cox came from before he came here, he took the job of associate pastor there because that associate pastor had an affair with his secretary. Just because you're on staff doesn't mean those things can't happen. I don't want our staff to get to the place where they have free time throughout the day because we are so fluid in our schedules that that free time becomes unaccountable. I don't want one of their wives ever calling saying, hey, where's so-and-so? I can't get a hold of them. I don't know. I, we put those things in place. And, and listen, I think those are healthy things to put in place. You don't, want, you don't want your spouse to say, where have you been for the last two hours? Get off my back. Now, if that's your spouse, you should tell them where you've been the last two hours. And if you can't tell them, you probably shouldn't have been where you were. Unless you were buying flowers or, you know, something for an anniversary. But no unaccountable time when, when listen, somebody says this, I just, I just, I, 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 I just want to be mean. But listen, when personal autonomy is greater than, a greater priority than purity and victory, sin is crouching at your door. When you said, I do, you know what you said? I'm accountable. I don't have secrets. I don't have my life, you have your life. And, 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 and don't ask. That's dangerous. Because sin's desire is to rule over you. Satan's desire is to rule over you. He wants to get you under that bondage of, of sin. Number three, I need to hurry here. Number three, write this down. I must make myself truly accountable. I want to talk to you about this. Truly accountable. Truly accountable. Proverbs chapter number 27. Are you still with me? Anybody mad at me yet? You're not going to say it if you are. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I must make myself accountable. Listen, every single person here in this room, male and female, you need a friend that will hold you accountable. You need a friend that's not afraid to wound you with their words. You need someone that loves you enough to speak truth to you. Not somebody that just tells you what you want to hear. Oftentimes, you know our, what, we, what we run to? We run to somebody that tells you how you feel, how you want to feel, or how you want them to tell you. So someone said to me, I, 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 I was away last week, and, and I hadn't seen this, this preacher for 
eight or so years. And this, this guy walks up to me and he says, hey, Brother Jeremy, I was talking to another guy and we we're having lunch and he walks up. He says, hey, Brother Jeremy, good to see you. He says, um, it's been a while. He says, you either, you've either gained weight or grew a beard. Which one is it? I'm like, who says that, you know? I grew a beard, you know? Leave me alone, you know? I'm like, I haven't seen you for eight years and you ask a question like that? Wounds of a friend. Listen to me, in the context of a loving relationship, you find someone that tells you what you need to hear even when it hurts. A Christian, when a Christian gets to the place where they stop hearing accountability, they stop hearing truth, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Proverbs 27, 9, again, says, uh, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Tell me, tell me how thin I look. Tell me how, how, how handsome I am. And so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Hearty counsel, good counsel, is what I really need, not just tell me what I want to hear. Listen, the, the sweetest things about friendships are not the years of joy, joyful interaction, but the critical, crucial times uh, with the needed words in a season. You, laughter and fun, yes. But if that friend never helps you become what God wants you to become, in Proverbs 25, 11, it says this, Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. We need to hear things that we need to hear. Proverbs 27, uh, um, 27, 17. Iron, I love this verse. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And if you're going to overcome sexual sin, you need more biblical friendship and less flattering friendship. Most of the time, though, when somebody's involved in sin, they separate themselves from that, that biblical friendship. What you need is more biblical friendship. Men, I think men today meet, need more men than we've ever needed before. And ladies, the same thing. And, and that biblical friendship is what, what helps us. That accountability is what helps us stay the course. And, 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 and write this down. There's levels of accountability and there's some confusion with accountability. And so accountability, number one, levels of accountability would be one, accountability for, for honesty. We, we want to be honest. It's good to be open how you feel. So somebody comes in and says, you know what? I, I'm done. I, I, I just want to be honest with you. I'm, I, I'm done with the Lord. I'm done with church. I'm done with my marriage. I'm done. I'm done with this all. And you say, good. At least you've got you. I'm holding you accountable. Good. You're telling me how you feel. Then what? There's another level of accountability. That's accountability for total honesty. Accountability for honesty, but total honesty. You know what that next level of accountability is? When somebody looks at you and you say that and says, why? Why do you feel that way? I'm done with the Lord. I'm done with church. I'm done with my marriage. Why? Why? Why is the next question, when, when you, if you want true, total honesty, you want somebody to look you in the eye and say, why? Why do you want this? Well, that leads you to the, the next level of, of accountability, accountability for obedience. And that would be this. A man travels and 
he says, you know what? I, I, I travel for a living and, and I just, I just can't, I can't, I'm in a hotel alone and I make bad decisions and immoral decisions when I'm alone. Then you would say to this person, then number one, then you should quit your job. I can't do that. Then you should take someone with you. Now I'd say to that person, take your wife with you to work. If you can't, if you can't go, then you've got to bring somebody with you. Somebody says this, I, I, I just, I'm done reading my Bible. Why? The next level of accountability, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come to, the, to your house, I'm going to read the Bible with you. That level of accountability, that it isn't just, all right, I'm done, I'm honest, and I've got it all out. No, let's do something then with that accountability. And then the last one would be this, the accountability for the consequences of disobedience. There's consequences of disobedience. And, and some at some point in our lives, when we, if we truly want to be held accountable, we need to agree there's just consequences. You know what? Sometimes loss of freedoms. You can't do this anymore. You can't, you can't, we can't have this in our home anymore. You can't have this anymore. You can't have the internet anymore. You can't go out by yourself anymore. You've lost freedoms because there's consequences to disobedience. Loss of confidentiality. That, that, that could mean this, you know, right now we're struggling, I'm struggling, and, and maybe a, a wife says, I'm really struggling with my husband with pornography, and he just keeps going back to it, he keeps going back to it, or, 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 or vice versa, and, and, and I've dealt with it for years, and I don't know what to do now. You know what that, the next level of accountability might be? Guess what? It's not confidential anymore between the two of you. Now the pastor finds out about it. Now somebody else finds out about it. It's now exposed because until we expose it, if we just keep it together, confidential, then we don't get over it. Now, now my secret has to get out so that somebody can intervene and help us in this accountability. And then, and then we find loss of relationship. Loss of relationship. And you write down 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. And I don't have the time to go there. We're, we're running really short here. But you read 1 Corinthians 5, one through five, and you find out what Paul says uh, when somebody refuses to get right. Number four, write this down. Round and third here. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious with this. I, in no way am I, am I humorous. But number four, if you want to overcome sexual sin, then I must cultivate healthy sexuality. Sexual sin is perverse. It's perverted. It's lust. It's sinful. It will lead to problems in, in your relationship, in your marriage. It'll control you. But I must then cultivate healthy sexuality. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So when you're quiet, I can't tell if you're bored, mad, want to get out of here. First Corinthians chapter number seven, verse number one, Paul is speaking of marriage. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. So to avoid this, this desire, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. 
The wife hath not, no, not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power over his own, but the wife. Verse number three says the husband has to give to her. You say, yeah, well, guess what? You got to give to them. Mutual. Mutual. It's mutual. It's not you love me. It's I love you and you love me. It's mutual. When, when a relationship is, it's all what I want. It's unhealthy. The Lord says here through inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Paul's writing, he says, when you're married, you belong to your wife. And your wife, and guess what? You belong to your husband. And we looked at Hebrews 13, 11, uh, 13 40 last week about um, uh, marriage is an honorable thing and the bed is undefiled. And the coming, to gum, the coming together and negotiating of this in all matters is the learning place that the other person and their needs, putting them above my own. It's the place I learn to put my, my other's needs above my own needs. When both are committed to that, it's a beautiful relationship. But listen to me. Sin that's brought into this relationship causes what should be beautiful to be so ugly and so selfish. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 5, look there, defraud ye not one the other. Talking about the physical relationship, except it be with consent for a time, you have both agreed that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. The only time you're to say no is when you are, it's a spiritual reason, fasting and prayer. For what reason that Satan tempt you not for this, this absence that you're having? Satan will tempt you. You, you, can't, you can't play games with this. And in so many marriages, they, one, of, one, of the, one of the things that it just seems brings so many marriages to trouble is, is this issue and somebody say, constantly saying no or using this as a ploy. The Bible says that's wrong. Active versus passive. It's not just your body, but your heart that has to be engaged in it as well. Lust is just my body. That's not what God designed in the context of a marriage. He wants us to be uh, uh, not just our bodies involved in this, but our hearts as well. It connects you. It, It causes oneness in a marriage. And when it's done out of perversion or out of sinful desires, then then what it's doing, it's not bringing that oneness. It's not a heart of engagement. It's just simply lust. But listen to me. The Bible says this, withholding yourself from your spouse is wrong. I would say this, then withholding yourself from your spouse is just as sinful and unfaithful as infidelity. It's wrong. You, you, you can't live a life where you're just withholding from your spouse. God says you can't do that. Both are unfaithful. One that commits infidelity, it's unfaithful. One that's withholding, you're being unfaithful to that covenant, that relationship of marriage, that covenant in your marriage that you said, I love you and I'm committing myself to you. Now, I, I understand, does it, does it have to be consensual? Of course it does. And, and I would say this just as a disclaimer, where where consensual is not available, when it's that deep, then you need to get some help. Because you can't live your marriage, in your marriage, 
with that being an issue and that being a roadblock and not think it's not going to affect your marriage. You, you have to get real true help to get you through that, that roadblock. And every, every blockage, and, and please know this, maybe you're struggling with that this evening, every blockage to a, a consensual relationship, it can be helped and it can be healed, but it can't be done on your own. You, you need to get help with that. And nothing protects your marriage from sexual sin like a healthy sexuality. I'll leave it at that. Because sexual sin inflames sexual desires, but it destroys, it destroys marriages. And many, many, not just men, women as well, many who are failing in their marriage are failing because of sexual sin outside of the marriage. And that sexual sin outside of the marriage, it's inflamed you sexually and it's distorted you that you can no longer be satisfied in your marriage. And you're in trouble. And number five, and I'm done. Number five, how do I overcome this? I must occupy my time with purpose and fulfillment. I don't have the time to turn to Second Samuel, but you know the story. How many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba? David is a man after God's own heart. How does a man after God's own heart commit adultery? How does that happen? How do you fall flat on your face? Number one, if you study the story of David, you find that Israel was in a very prosperous time. Many people think, I fall into sin when things are bad. No, many people fall into sin during prosperous times. Things are good, and so you don't need the Lord. You get lazy. David David fell into sin during a very prosperous time. David was supposed to go to war, but David didn't need to go to war anymore. Israel was in a good place. Number two is, is passive wills, not, not at the battle. David should have been at the battle, but he's not. And where's he at? He's just figuring out what to do with his life. He's just walking around. I mean, here's the king. They're out the battle, and here, he's just walking on the, on the rooftop. Hmm. What am I going to do today? Passive. You'll fall flat on your face. If, if you, you, prosperous times, passive wills. Number three, overpowering emotions. Now we find David, he's there on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba and he says, whoa, look at her. And, and, and you, you, if you look at it, you know what the, the servants say? That's Bathsheba. That guy, that, that's Uriah's wife. And David's like, yeah, go get her. Like, but that's Uriah's wife. Overpowering emotions. I've got to have what I have to have. And you know what those overpowering emotions then? They lead to impure thoughts. David saw himself with someone he never should have saw himself with because he was overpowering emotions, because he had a passive will, because he's in prosperous times and he's not where he's supposed to be. And then what happens is this. It turns into private sin. David said, Bathsheba, come into my chambers. Nobody will know. And then what happens is public consequences. I must occupy my time with purpose and fulfillment because when I don't, it leads to public consequences. How do I do it? Ministry, serve the Lord. Find a place to serve the Lord. Activity, do something that tires you out. Family, spending time with family, and I'm not putting family as third, but this is huge. Spend time with your family. Don't avoid your family. Education, further education, 
read books, do something to, to occupy that time, and work. Listen, you know, men, at the end of the day, you need to be tired. If you're not tired, you didn't work. Well, my job is, you know, more like a, a behind-the-desk job. Then when you get home, till the lawn or, or, or plant a garden, do something that tires you out. Do something that, that you're, you're, you're tired. Do something valuable with your time. Fulfill it and do something and put something in place so that you have no time for the sexual sin.